to open up to hymn number 61 in your red hymnals in front of you. Hymn number 61, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's just sing together the second stanza of that hymn as we begin our message this morning. I'll try and lead you, I'll do my best. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Hailed in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds to whom they sang that said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has told us about. That Christmas night in Bethlehem, the Savior of the world had been born. And Mary and Joseph took him and they wrapped him up in swaddling cloths and and laid him down in a manger. And that was different, to be sure, But if it had not been for the proclamation of those angels to the shepherds in the field that the birth taking place here in Bethlehem was the birth of God's Messiah into the world, what happened that night would probably have gone by largely unnoticed by the world. It would have seemed like just another birth of just another baby. Yet even if it had seemed that way, that wouldn't have been the truth. Because as we sang in the words of that hymn, veiled in the flesh of that infant child was the Godhead, our one and only God, who had come now down into this world to become its Savior, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, had come into the world. And yet, how did he come? He came wrapped up in human flesh, veiled from our eyes, appearing to all who saw him to be just a human baby. But in our time since we celebrated Christmas this past December, over the last two months, we've been seeing Jesus unveiled. We're celebrating the season of Epiphany. Today brings that season to a close. Epiphany is a Greek word which means unveiled or revealed. And during that season, we see Jesus through the word revealed to us for who he truly is. 
In January, we looked at a day in the life of Jesus. We saw him driving out demons, healing the sick, and yet going to commune with his Father through prayer. This February, we've been looking at Jesus through the eyes of disciples to whom he came and revealed himself, this man with leprosy, the four friends who brought their their paralyzed, crippled friend to him. And now today, these three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, as he takes them along with him up onto the top of this mountain. Today, with those three witnesses, we see Jesus revealed to us as God Almighty in all of his power and glory. Listen to the words of the account of that transfiguration from Mark chapter 9, but first, would you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, gracious and sanctifying God, quiet our hearts today as we contemplate your holy word. Let the truth of the almighty power and the tender love of our Savior Jesus fill us with confidence to live lives of fearless service to you. Amen. A lesson from Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When those shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem were visited by the angels making proclamation of Jesus' birth, we're told the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. When Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the top of the mountain, They saw that same radiant glory, but this time emanating not from the heavens above, but coming to them directly from this man, their friend, their teacher, whom they had been traveling with. They saw that glory of God coming straight from Jesus. And how did they feel? Why Peter, James, and John? I don't know that we can really answer that question, why Jesus chose those three men to come along with him that day, but, but why did he choose them to bring them along at all? He wanted them to witness this thing. He wanted them to witness it for their own sake and so that when the time was right, they could share it with the others. 
And through his word, they could witness those events to you and to me today. I think it's impossible for us to accurately imagine what it would have been like to be there. To see Jesus transformed before your eyes and and to experience all the holiness and purity of God just surrounding you like the light of a thousand suns. To see these two men, Moses and Elijah, these servants of God from centuries past, appear alongside of Jesus and to hear the conversation that they held. To be wrapped up in this cloud from heaven that came down around them and then to be enveloped in the powerful voice of God the Father Almighty. The light, the servants of God, the voice, all of it. It's unlike anything that you or I have ever experienced. So I don't think we can possibly even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be there. But we read this, and we try. We try to imagine it. We, we try to put ourselves there, and, and we ask ourselves, how would we have reacted if we were there that day on that mountain? in the the shoes of those three witnesses. How did they react? Mark gives us four little words. He says, they were so frightened. And in his fear, Peter jumps up and he starts to speak, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's, Let's build some forts. We can build some forts. We can stay here forever. It'll be great. Mark says he said that because he didn't know what to say because They were so frightened. They were afraid, terrified, and rightly so because the light, the cloud, the appearance of God's servants, the voice of the Father, all of that was beyond what they had ever experienced either. And all of it together, it pulled back the veil from Jesus and showed him to them clearly that with no doubt in their minds they saw him for whom he truly was This man, this friend of theirs, this teacher who had walked with them and instructed them was none other than God himself. And who were they to stand in the presence of a holy God, a righteous and almighty God? It was the answer to that question that left them terrified. And that's our first fill in the blank today. The answer to the question, Who are we to stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God? The answer is terrifying. Because who were they? They were three sinful men. Sinful men who had broken God's law and what they deserved from a holy and powerful and almighty God was to be snuffed out like little candles to be cut off from God and from all of his blessings forever. But is that what Jesus did for them that day? No. As the voice went away and the cloud lifted, we're told they looked up and the only one they saw now was Jesus. And in Matthew's account, he tells us how Jesus walked up to them and he put his hand on them, he touched them, tenderly, and he said to them, don't be afraid. 
Then he led them back down the mountain again. And as they went down the mountain, we're told that Jesus commanded them not to tell anybody what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. That part used to puzzle me. Why, why would he command them that? But I think it makes sense. What they had just witnessed was incredible. But they did not yet have the context that they needed to fully understand what it was that they had seen. So Jesus led them back down the mountain, and over the course of the next several weeks, he continued to show them why it was that they could not stay on the top of that mountain in the shelters that Peter wanted to build. They couldn't stay there because Jesus had another stop to make. He had to bring them with him to another high point, a hill outside the city of Jerusalem, where his glory would be revealed once again. But that time, not in radiant light, but under the cover of darkness, as the muted sun failed to illuminate to the world, the greatest act of perfect love as Jesus Christ, God veiled in human flesh, offered up his body on a cross to take away the sins of the entire world. And yet even then, they still couldn't fully comprehend the things that they had seen. It wasn't until three days later when they had seen the Son of Man risen from the dead that their eyes were opened to fully comprehend the glories of their God. That he was, as they had seen on the mountain of transfiguration, the Son of God in power and glory. But he was also, as they had now seen at Mount Calvary, their Savior and Redeemer. A God not just of power, but a God of tender love. Together with the resurrection, this glimpse of Jesus' glory on the mountaintop would give them an anchor for their hope that no matter what would come, they would be able to bask in that glory of Jesus once again when he brought them into his kingdom of glory. This glimpse of his glory on the mountaintop together with the resurrection would convince them that no matter what would happen, they could fearlessly serve him and serve his gospel message. Even in the face of intense persecution, even in the face of death, they could bear forth the things that they had witnessed because they were witnesses to a God of power and glory and a God of tender love. So a far better question than who were they to stand in the presence of a holy God was the simple question, who is he? Because what about us, friends? Here we are today. We, we've gathered together to 
bask in that glory of our almighty God, but who are we to presume that we can bask in his glory rather than cower in front of it? It's like the disciples, you and I are nobodies. We're worse than nobody. We're sinners. We aren't just nobody to God. We're the ones who have rebelled against him, who've broken his commandments in more ways than should be possible. Things we've done, things we've said, thoughts that we've entertained in our minds. We do not deserve to come here today to worship him and enjoy his glory. We ought to be snuffed out by him like so many little candles and cut off from him, thrown away to be separated from all of his blessings forever. But is that what our Savior Jesus has done for us? No. He comes to you just as he came to those three witnesses and he reaches out and touches you with his word. And in those moments when, like those three men, you are terrified before him because of your sins, and rightly so, he speaks to you in his word and he tells you who he is. He says, don't be afraid. Do you feel weak? I am your strength. Have you sinned? I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is it that has you afraid? Is it pain or sorrow or struggle or addiction? Is it anxiety and depression or grief or mourning? Is Satan coming at you with his temptations and the darkness? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus reaches out and touches you and says, Do not be afraid, but come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then the Father chimes in. He says, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. So we come, and we listen, and we receive from him the rest that he has promised us, the rest that comes through the gospel message which he gives us in his word. And beyond his word, he reaches out and touches us here in our baptisms, lifting us up and telling us, do not be afraid. And then he comes to us again with his body and blood each time we come to his altar to receive his holy supper. And he gives us in that meal forgiveness from our sins and life and salvation so that we might know his glory. And as we walk away from that meal and return to our seats and look forward to going back out to our lives in the world, we often join together in singing the words of a song that was first sung by a man named Simeon who was blessed to hold on to the infant Jesus in the temple shortly after he was born. And after Simeon had held him, he sang a song to God. He sang, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, 
a light to be revealed to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Through the eyes of faith, you and I are able to sing with Simeon that we have seen the glory of God. We're able to proclaim with Peter the words we heard in our first lesson this morning that we have seen the glorious majesty of God and lift our voices with John who wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Together with the resurrection, this glimpse of Jesus' glory on the mountaintop that was witnessed by the disciples and witnessed to us through them gives us an anchor for our hope. I was blessed, as were a few other of our members this past week, to sit with a sister in Christ, staring death in the face. Her turn to stand before the holy and righteous God in all of, her, all of his glory had come. And she knew it. But she was not afraid. Weary? Yes. Burdened? Incredibly. But she was not afraid. She had seen the glory of her God. Not just a powerful God, but her loving, tenderly loving Savior and Redeemer. She had heard it in his word. She had felt it in her baptism, which she fondly remembered. And she received the Lord's Supper with a, a sigh, like someone who had been lost in the desert, receiving a, a cool, freshing gulp of cold water. And our sister Dorothea now stands in the presence of that glorious God. And she, like Moses and Elijah, is robed in that same glory. And that reward that she has received, that's your reward too. And the proof is right there on the mountain of transfiguration. It's right there at the cross, in the font, at the altar, in God's word. The Holy One, the Lord God Almighty, is with you, and he loves you tenderly. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. So listen to him, and do not be afraid. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.